Hello and welcome to the Local to Global podcast. I'm Nick Hewer. 40 years in business, followed up by 10 years as uh, one of Lord Sugar's advisors. Anyway, in this series, we're looking at why exporting is great for business. Whether you're starting a brand new company or are looking to expand, selling overseas can make a huge impact in terms of increasing sales, growth and stability. But for many, the idea of selling abroad can be truly daunting. In this podcast, I'll be talking to some of the UK's standout business founders and exporters to hear about their stories, to ruminate on the successes, failures, tips and strategies for trading internationally. How about Mobros, a seven-figure business built by three brothers from just £750. Now a leading men's grooming retailer, you can find their products in over 78 countries and on the shelves of Next, Debenhams and ASOS. They've also secured one of the highest offers of investment to date on Dragon's Den. The three brothers and founders, Kival, Kunal and Savan Datani, are all here with me now to tell me more about their journey into world dominance. Now, bros, come on. People often say, don't mix business with family. But Mobros, it's a collaboration between three brothers. How did this all begin? Well, it all began in November 2014 as a bit of rivalry between brothers, as you do. The three of us decided to participate in November and grow our facial hair just for a good cause for charity, a little bit of fun. Little did we know that none of us could actually grow beards that we were proud of. All three of us had really random beard problems. Myself, Caval, I had an unruly beard, which grew in all directions. Didn't look very good at the time. Kunal's beard was really itchy, so two weeks into November, I remember him running out of the room and scratching his face. And when an Asian person's face grows bright red, that's really telling you something is wrong. Sam, the youngest brother, his beard was thin and patchy. He didn't have a lot to talk about. To a point, my mum turned around and said to him, oh, I'm glad you're not growing your beard like your two older brothers. And I was like, Mum, I really am. And it just left us really frustrated because none of us could actually grow beards. We sat in dismay and we thought, there's got to be something out there. When we went online, started doing our research, there's actually no help that we could get from anywhere else. So we thought, well, as brothers, we'll make our own formulations. And we were quite fortunate that growing up, we used to see our mother walking around with face masks on that she'd made herself and all sorts of concussions. So we thought, well, why not try it ourselves and see if we can actually solve our own problems with no intention to first to actually make what we'd created online and start selling our products. Um, we were all settled within a career. Mm. And then we'd created products. Actually, we were really, the first batch, I won't lie, wasn't great. And it is as much as you can imagine, three guys with a wax melting pot that was borrowed from my wife not when she didn't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this was all taking place in the kitchen sort of thing, Yeah, it? it was all at home, actually um, in my daughter's bedroom, because at the start, when you start a business, you know, we wanted to keep mm. our overheads low. And Well, like I said, it wasn't actually a business. We created the products. We had a lot of fun doing that. The first round wasn't great. The second one, we actually made a really good formulation. And we thought, wow, you know, we might have something here. What about, is there a, 
I suppose in every company there's got to be a leader. Is the biggest brother the leader or how does it work? How well, do you meld together? It's very important as you grow that everybody's pushing in the same direction. I believe that we direction. share the responsibility. Like you do in a family, there is a pecking order of respect, but we all pitch in and we believe in something called the power of three mm. um, and we all input basically and move the business forward. I think the beautiful thing about having three brothers is the symmetry. Um, there is a backstory to us, guys. So my parents came to the UK from Africa. They got expelled in the 70s. They didn't know the language, didn't have a lot. Us three brothers growing up didn't have material goods. So my mum said that one thing you three brothers need to look after is your relationship as brothers. Mm. You take care of that and stay strong, then everything else will follow. And she was quite right. There is a pecking order. But we like to think of it as three areas of expertise. All three of his brothers were completely different as individuals, but we all bring a different skill set to the table. Um, and there's the strength of the family there, frankly. Absolutely. The power of three, the trust factors that you're dropping straight away, a lot of issues that some people have, we don't have that. We have all share a common goal of driving the business forward. You know, on a good day, all three of us will pull that carriage in the right direction. Grooming products for men been around forever. Beards is slightly different. But how have you guys managed to turn this into such a distinctive brand, do you think? What are these products today? I mean, the key principles of this is to make sure that you're keeping your appearance alive, really. Um, generations from younger audiences now are starting to look after themselves, look after their skin better. And we find with beards, it actually resembles a personality. For example, when I became a father two years ago, I wanted to grow a beard because, you know, it makes me feel a bit more masculine, gives me a bit more confidence almost assumptions of wisdom as well when you speak to someone. So we're trying to change the perceptions of men and younger younger men now Got it. that you can grow a beard. It can be any shape and size. So I um, represent like a short stubble. Kev is like a wild, you know, um, unruly it's beard. It's not wild anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's quite <laughs> no, tame, but actually. It's, it's a really tamed uh, hipster beard, and Quinnell likes the... Mustache handles. But how many products have we got? All of which apparently are made in the UK, is that right? That's right, yes. OK, but you've got combs for beards, for moustaches, you've got the balms, you've got the... Uh, what am I lifting up here? Yeah. It says it's a premium grooming beard oil. Absolutely. I hope you're all so, wearing beard oil absolutely. today. Absolutely. So what we created was a start-to-finish process. So it starts with actually a beard wash and then it moves on to a beard conditioner. Then we've got a hydration stage, which is introducing back the oil into your skin and hair. We have a styling phase, which is step four. And then step five is comb. So it's the whole process of the grooming regime. Let me throw a spanner into the works, may I? I know that you're selling. You've had great success. Listen, you've only been in business since 2014. And you're in places like Next, Debenhams, ASOS and all the rest of it. But Beards and Britain... It's a bit of a hip thing, uh, which brings us on to, if it's not going to be a major fashion forever, that must point you towards export. So from our research, the trend is actually on the increase, and we believe that there'll always be a baseline number of beards out there, but exporting for us guys is incredibly important. That's where um, the big, big market is. Yeah, there's markets uh, in the Middle East, and people in them markets... Beards are a way of life. It's part of their religion, yeah. part of their culture. And they're the markets we're looking to tap into. The world's a massive place, so, yeah, it's really... Uh, no, I'm us. absolutely with you. I'm an old bloke, and you will notice that I don't have a beard or a moustache, and actually I never have. But standing back, I can see things that, you know, they become fashionable. Listen, I was around when the Beatles were around. Everybody had long hair. Now they've got short hair. They've got beards, they haven't got beards. They've got moustaches, long moustaches, and so it goes on. 
but the world, particularly, I think, the, the Muslim world, which is enormous, beards are there to stay and always have been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, it's an interesting position for us to place our products offering into. We're doing that through a number of ways. So we're working with the Department of International Trade. Yes. Um, accessing actual local data, understanding the demographic of the customer there. So, for example, you would be selling at a higher price point, but you would also have a more premium product. Understanding the tone of voice, the communication, the way you'd want to speak to your audience. And we really believe that if you want to position yourself as a key person of influence and an individual who is going to be a market leader, you ideally want to be able to educate your customers and give them every reason why, yes, you guys have had beards for years and it is a cultural thing, but if we can tell you the reason to use actual beard care products and how we can improve your beard game as such, then I think that's a very good advantage. And we're doing that through a book called Beard Education, so we're just writing it at the moment. Yeah. And that is essentially a guide to growing the best beard okay. of your life. Let's just go back to that now because you're exporting something like 78 countries now. To what extent did the Department of International Trade give you the first leg up, get you going in the right direction? Yeah, sure. So as a lot of entrepreneurs will know, business itself can be quite lonely. As three young entrepreneurs ourselves, we could hit a lot of bottlenecks, a lot of issues, a lot of areas of expertise that we're not comfortable with. So for us, it was to actually reach out for help. Our first journey was actually finding out what help was available. We knew that the Department of International Trade had started a program where they were helping entrepreneurs with workshops around regions, access to data, access to marketplace analytics, all a lot of the information that as SMEs we couldn't get hold of. So we booked in with our local ITA. And then from day one, we've had support of actually getting the insights we need to be able to grow our business. So they're still mentoring you in a way? Well, it is mentoring, yes, and it's support. It's that phone call and the access to a whole network of individuals with a varying skill set that you can tap into. The best entrepreneurs extract that information. It never gets handed to you, but the resource has been made available. So taking the first steps, now there's been a community set up. Surrounding yourself with like-minded business people a group of people that the government, the Department of International Trade are leading, but individuals like Mobros, ourselves, we're getting involved, helping to moderate, helping to give that support that a lot of businesses need. It makes so much difference. I mean, look, let's be blunt about it. So three young guys in Leicester, each doing their own thing, and you came up with this wizard idea. You wanted to grow beards, and you did, and may I say that they've been growing very successfully and they're a joy to behold. But anyway, the point is, it must have been pretty scary when you decided to go into business and start exporting. It's There are barriers, and it is daunting. See, a lot of people see trade as localised, and it has been like that for years. But it's not the way we do business anymore. Times have changed. We're trading now on a global front. That's happened since the evolution of Facebook, social media. Mm. You know, it started in 2004. That was the golden year, I think. And businesses like us have started to emerge. You know that you don't have to limit yourself. You don't have to just sell in your local area. You're not a local marketplace. You're a global marketplace. Our logistics, our infrastructure is so much more open than we actually believe. And as, as human beings, we put our own barriers up. Actually, it's really easy to do it. And... The international and export market is so huge. For you to understand that if you think you're doing well in the UK, 
well, that's just a beta. That's your test. But being British, carrying that Union Jack High, manufacturing British, is such a quality and such a strength. A lot of people don't see how valuable that is. For us to have a British cosmetic that's built to ISO standards, to GMP, yeah. all of our products are pharmaceutical grade too. Using that and selling it adds value to your product. Um, Made in Britain counts. Absolutely. And it gives you your own USP. You're able to go to other territories and be proud. A lot of people associate Britain with quality outside of the UK that people in the UK don't actually understand. That's um, true. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure. Just Let's go back to the first steps to selling internationally through your own website. Is that how you kicked off? So when we first created the products for ourselves, we decided to list them online uh, on a platform called eBay, actually, which is quite popular. And what we found on eBay is we're tapping into millions of customers, not just in the UK, but throughout Europe and globally, mm. which we could open our checkouts to. So when we did list our products, we sold 30 overnight, which was an amazing moment for us three guys. And then what we did in the following month is open our checkout to Europe. And for us, it was just a test to see. We know there's British guys out there that are having the same problems as us guys, but are there Europeans that are having the same issues? And what we found is just tons of orders coming through from Europe, yep. which is amazing for us. So touching on Kev's point earlier is that We've got customers globally, and we're not operating on a local scale anymore. Mm. Now you can access millions of customers worldwide. Yeah. The most important part of exporting is to get started. So a lot of people are scared, you know, where do I ship this? How do I ship this? Exactly. But there's so many companies. Internet is a, a huge power now. You know, you can type in best shipping rates to America, for example, and you can find companies that you can get set with within two minutes, and, you know, you're ready to ship. So suddenly, three guys from Leicester are selling to 78 countries because you had the courage and the guts and the brotherhood, the bros, to get this thing moving. (laughs) Made in Britain counts for something. And with the help of the uh, Department of International Trade, frankly, they're still beside you. They're They're beside us, I'd say, pretty much on the front line. For example, at the moment, we're only selling in some areas of Europe to English speaking Europeans who can't find what they want in their local area so they have to look outside of that they come to the uk and right now we're working with dit to make a globalized site where we're able to translate and make the products locally available in the local language but also keep our tone of voice because that's really important because that's what makes us as a brand we are based on dry british humor not everyone gets it for example the german marketplace they don't understand that so it's trying to have an offering where you're able to speak the local language too in a way that you're not losing your brand identity as well that's our next step if we think we've done 40 percent of exports of our mobros is export and that's through english-speaking customers we can actually grow that search a lot more significantly so we think actually our exports are going to be higher than actually what we sell into the uk just to add to kev's point um we've got a phenomenal relationship with our trade advisor so when Kev mentioned ITAL, it's International Trade Advisor, mm. and they work with several businesses, and they can take knowledge from multiple businesses in different countries. Um, but we've had access to research, data. Also, they're taking us out to trade missions and workshops. When Kev spoke about language barriers, we can sit in a workshop and we can understand why the German market is different, their way of thinking. So we've tapped into all of that, and we meet with our trade advisor every four weeks. That's uh, good. And, yeah, and it's been excellent for us, guys. Does that cost you? No, it's free of charge. It's a free resource. Mm. 
obviously, if we grow in UK export, it's a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. And it makes sense. It's interesting because we talked about, you know, the importance of British production, British products, the qualities inherent in those products and all that stuff. But I've read the research by Barclays Corporate Banking. 64% of consumers in India, 57 in China, and something like, well, nearly 50% in the UAE want to pay more for British products, which gives you a little bit of a lift on your selling price too, huh? It's a bit of a personal. So we, um, when we were younger, we used to travel out to India quite often, so our parents used to take us, and we kind of experienced that. So they've heard of a brand called Lynx, and essentially myself and Kev were on a scooter one day, travelling the wrong way by accident, and the police officer stopped us and said, what are you doing? And we were like quite afraid, we were like, OK, what should we do? And he goes, you guys are from England, right? He goes, what cosmetics have you got? And so we had to take him back to our apartment and showed him around. And all he wanted was a tin of Lynx because he's heard of the brand on TV. Is that right? And that's the power. This is a local, it was a local village that we're in. And he ended up guarding the house for the next uh, three, four weeks after. So it's just a phenomenal story. But everyone's really fascinated by British exports, British products. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The and strength of the British brand. And it's London more so. As soon as you say London to anyone in India, and in fact, the interesting stat at the moment is that there's 26 million facial hair wearers, according to government data, in India, which is just amazing, you know? So it's Western influence that's moved over. And actually, all the data that we've been following, we've seen the shift. So it originated in in the US, uh, came across to the UK. We're normally very quick in Britain to follow. And then we've seen it expand out to India, the Middle East. Um, we've seen Canada, South Africa at the moment for British cosmetics. You can get the price point that you want because we can offer a premium offering because of who we are. Have you had to outsource manufacturing? So we started manufacturing ourselves, actually, at the yeah. start. Um, but then we soon realised that it's not our you know, expertise. So we, mm-hmm. uh, we do outsource, but our plan is to keep everything British and everything's going to be made in the UK. Listen, you've reasonably said manufacturing is not your bag. Yeah. Neither is all the regulations and compliance issues that you've got to deal with. You guys are formulators of the product, packaging and marketing. That's your expertise. Exactly. And that's where you're going to put all your energy, I guess, isn't it? All right. Well, the what fundamentals do- of business, we believe, are sales and marketing, like you said. At the start, a lot of entrepreneurs, they do everything. You are the goalkeeper. You are the striker. You are the defender. Mm. And we covered every position. It was... My background as an electrician before I started, that we made a hideous-looking machine that did hot filling because we couldn't afford a 30 grand loan. It was a monstrous machine. It was two metres long, but it hot-filled. Kun was making sure that the marketplaces that we were listing online and that it was, the product was available on the right channels. Sav, the youngest brother, was making sure that the warehouse and all the logistics were in place and that the orders were being dispatched. And it's three of us coming together with three different skill sets. Sav was a trainee lawyer, comes an accountant, but you will come to a point in business where you have to outsource functional activity or anything, any activity that doesn't add value to your day-to-day. My point here, I guess, is that there's only so much you can do yourself if you've got a resource being made available to you and you've got an appetite to want to grow your business um, like we did. Use the local information that's been made available to you. You know, The Department of International Trade have been there for us and... Last night we were at the Christmas trade fair with Liam Fox. What we did get to meet was the Lord Mayor, the trade commissioners for different regions. People buy from people. So even though they weren't our ideal customers, they knew someone 
So just the introduction, and it creates a snowball effect. So some, we call them golden nuggets. So there'll be one meeting, but we'll see them again. And a lot of people last night said, oh, bros, we love what you do. Actually, I've got contact for you. And, you know, it's just one phone call. And what, choose what one about, thing, really let's, well. let's talk about the money, the financial side of things. What were the biggest considerations when you started to deal abroad? What about different currencies, for instance? Here you are, 78 countries. How are they paying you? Through well, what? Well, for us, we're predominantly e-commerce. So you've got payment merchants such as PayPal that you mentioned earlier. Now we've got the rise of Bitcoin and lots of new ways. Uh, we've got Zofort, which is preferred payment method by German people, which is like a almost like a bank transfer. You've got Amazon Pay, which is phenomenal. Google Pay, Apple Pay, all these methods. You might have you know one payment method that's preferred to a certain region all of which offer you local currency accounts. So for us, we can trade payments in a local currency and don't actually have to bring it back into the UK immediately. So a US dollar account will sit as US dollars. And then if we need to trade overseas uh, or make an investment, we can actually still pay in US dollars. We live in what I call the digital revolution. You know, I think eventually cash is going to be eliminated completely. Mm. And payments are going to be digital. Within two minutes, you can send payments to someone across the world, Western Union. Then you've got Alipay. The choices are fun. The thing phenomenal. is, but it's also pretty instantaneous. Instant. So there's none of this 60 day payments. There's none of this sort of. So cash flow is no longer the sort of headache that it used to be. Yeah. You sell, I, the money's there. Yeah, sure. And this is the benefit of being an e-commerce business. It's scalable, but you get paid first. So we're predominantly B2C, but we also, because we get paid first from our B2C, we can actually deal with B2B too. Yeah. So, you know, we don't mind if there's, you know, payment terms that are slightly longer. And it doesn't stop you then from trading. So a lot of limitations a lot of smaller companies have is they've set up a B2B model and they're waiting for payments. So, you know, they're raising, running up a lot of debt in between or waiting for the banks to factor an invoice. Whereas if you have both or start B2C first, you know, you, you yeah, can balance that quite well. You can build it up. We've heard about the successes. We've heard about the number of countries. We've heard about the support you're getting. There must have been some disappointments along there. Who dropped a clangor? <laughs> um, it's quite. I think it's been quite plain sailing. I think it's been a great learning experience between the three of us. And in, in business, we're not just protecting the business itself, we're protecting our relationship as well, which I think is one of our key strengths. So I can't really think of anything. Can you guys think of one? Um, I wouldn't say we've never made mistakes, but they've never been significant enough because this is, again, coming back to the power of three, whereas there's always three minds against one. We think that is the secret number, the magic number. Mm. Um, if you think that if I was an entrepreneur on myself, I will always contemplate with my own decisions, am I right, am I wrong? If there's two of you, you could be very strong-minded. Who's right out of the two of you? Whereas three of you, there's always two against one. So decisions get brought to Monday boardroom meetings. They get made really quick, and then we follow up on a Friday. We did have something called a bro code going on on Dragon's Den, which no one actually knows about. The bro code, we call it. Yeah. We knew that we needed to be on point with every question. So the dragons were going to ask some curly questions, and we wanted to avoid them. So we had the secret knee knock, uh, <laughs> shoot up, the elbow, or just the look. 
and it was just a signal to say, stop, we've got this covered, or you're saying too much. And I, and I think it's just using that as your strength. You know, the three of you... It's quite a nice negotiating <laughs> tool, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the same well, way there's five exactly. dragons, there's three brothers I mean, too. So. It's all very well for you guys, the three bros, all right? Now, tell me this. Here's a little startup over there somewhere. The risk of failure sometimes is something that stops them from exporting. What's your advice to them? Well, this is exactly it, is using that resource. So the risk of failure is because you're on your, you're on your own. You are contemplating with your own decisions. Having support from your local ITA actually adds that number. So the same way we've got three of us here, you've got an extension of yourself to tap into using that resource. If it was to give them advice, is to actually go and use that resource. Yeah. Get in touch. And you can have information in such in ways that suit you. So you don't have to have a sit-down appointment. You can have an over-the-phone appointment. It's having you a can, mentor who really yeah. has been around, has done a lot of this, they hold your hand. Absolutely. And they, they, well, they lead you in the right direction. Yeah, and you're quite right. A mentor or a coach, get yourself one. If you can get a free one at the start when you're starting up, which is through your IT or, or the Department of International Trade, then it makes sense because you want to keep your overheads low. I believe that there is a lot of pitfalls in business that if you're not careful, it can lead to failure, you know, when you are a startup. So actually using the information from people that have been there, done that, dodged those pitfalls, not knowing even now where we are as Mobros, as a lifestyle business, moving into performance, there are pitfalls. So for us, obviously, the idea was that the dragons were able to manoeuvre us around them. So we didn't make any expensive or costly mistakes. They could see them coming because they've already dealt with similar issues. Can I add to that? Uh, my tip as a, to a startup would be just get started. I think a lot of businesses put too many barriers ahead of them, so they think they need to be, you know, a more two million pound brand. But actually, it's just about taking that next step. So setting the bigger goal and taking really incremental steps daily towards yeah. that goal, because otherwise it just looks like a monster. You know, you're trying to exactly. reach too far. But if you break it down, it's a lot easier. It's like fitness. In other know? words. People tend to invent dragons when they don't actually yeah, exist. Exactly. This is the point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Sure. But hold on, chaps. It's not all been easy. There must have been one thing that you wish you had known about export before you started. One single thing that you now know and you wish you had known. So earlier. for us guys, because beard care is quite a new market, we couldn't really understand the size of the market. So even though we're shipping from the UK to all these countries, we didn't really know which market to go for. Uh, and again, this is where the DIT came in and we accessed some research. The DIT gave us a chart and it told us what countries, the size of the market, the ease of the market. And through that, we've been able to establish which markets we're going for. Rather than attack all of them, we've picked three or four that we're going to concentrate over the next And which five were years. they? Which were they? So the USA, India's one, and then some of Europe. So in particular for Europe was Germany and France, where we've already demonstrated a good amount of sales. And I think what... Colonel's real point is is making a data-driven decision. Sometimes going with your hindsight gut feeling, it's all well, but when you've got numbers adding up that make sense saying this is a decision you should make mm. and you're able to get that from your local trade advisor, it just makes sense to go with that. We did too many territories at too quickly. Yeah. So the answer to your question was that was the mistake we made. And now we're homing down and doing fewer territories, but doing them well and then moving on. So you've always got room to learning. grow. you're learning. We're learning. Of course we're learning. Yeah. For example, Italy, we had great demand, but the career service isn't great. So we were having a lot of parcels get to Italy and then disappear. 
Oh, really? Um, if you think our average transaction value is around £20, people don't want to spend £10 on a premium career service, mm. so we have to use an economy service, which um. sometimes takes 10 to 12 days, sometimes doesn't meet customers' expectations, or you're not able to provide tracking. So it's actually having the knowledge to actually use the right service yeah. so you can actually carry on continuing to do good business and good trade and not missing out on those opportunities. That's sound advice, yeah. Final tips. What would you say to a new business looking to export in sort of just very succinctly? I, I think pick up the phone. If you go onto the Gov site, you've got a few tools there that can give you information to get you started. It's sort of like your, your roadmap. It asks you a few questions, fill it in, you get some answers, and just start your journey with a good resource. There are so many marketplaces. Making sure that you've got the right insights, the right analytics, the right data in front of you um, to make an educated decision. My tip would be to reach out to other businesses that are almost where you want to be. You can't be speaking to someone that's already experienced You know what you, where you're going to go, so that's my tip. Yeah, and I think for us as well, the Mobros ourselves, so yes, we're on this podcast today uh, with yourself, Nick, but we're also in the Exporters Great community. Everyone has access to Facebook. We've just started a great group. Well, the Department of International Trade have. We're in there. So if anyone's listening that wants actually any help from us, guys, we're more than happy to help. After all, we are a brotherhood. We help each other out. And that obviously extends out to our most sisters, so don't feel left out. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Listen, you guys, the Mobros, I tell you what, you're on a great journey. Four years in, and look at you. 78 countries, amazing. So I'd just like to say thank you to Kunal, Keval, and Savan Datani. That's all for this episode of the Local to Global podcast. To start your own exporting journey, visit great.gov.uk. Until next time, from me, Nick Hewer, it's goodbye. Goodbye.